uh, I feel like the Lord is going to just, he's going to bestow some favor, or maybe I should say it this way, he's going to increase favor that's already on you, but he's going to open your eyes to the reality of the favor that you already have. Like God is going to open your eyes to see, so you can see Jesus um, the glorified Jesus, not the Jesus that's on the cross because he's, because he's not on the cross anymore, and, and not just the Jesus that came out of the tomb, but the Jesus that ascended and was enthroned, and he is reigning and has been reigning for over 2,000 years. He is the King, and he is Lord. And when you lift your eyes to see his face, it changes you from glory to glory. And not only that, but you see His face, and part of the favor and the grace that God gives you is increased through you beholding the revelation of who God is. It says in 1 Peter, it says that when you, you literally, hear me, you receive grace through the revelation of who Jesus is. Isn't that powerful? You receive more, an increase of favor. And listen, grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is God's supernatural enablement, whether it's merited or unmerited. We know it's unmerited, but that's beside the point. It is a supernatural enablement for every believer, His grace. And when you have a revelation of who God is, or when your eyes are set on Him, when you behold His face, favor increases on your life. And some of you, maybe you don't understand how much favor you actually have. Maybe you don't understand that you are the focus of His love. Like you're literally on His mind all the time. That is so powerful. I mean, those of you, especially the young people, when you're falling in love, I wonder, girls, I wonder if he's thinking about me right now. Or guys, you know, I'm like, yeah, she's probably thinking about me right now. I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to text her real quick. When you're falling in love, when, when you, I, on, it's like a honeymoon, you know, you're spending time. God has you on his mind all of the time. You're the focus of his love. You see, there's no love like that. And so I want to share with you in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to do a little bit of verse-by-verse teaching. How's that sound? Uh, so, Father, we thank you for the spirit of revelation. We open our hearts, and we want to see who you are, and we want to see your face, so we open our hearts, and we just say, spirit of revelation and knowledge, we ask right now for illumination, we ask right now for revelation, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, thank you, Lord. So Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, now Paul was an apostle, how many know that? Um, How many know that there are 22 apostles in the New Testament, did you know that? There's more than 12. There's actually 22 by name and others implied. And some of them were women. A couple of them, at least. So Paul is an apostle, and, and there's no record in the New Testament of a pastor leading a church. There's, there's only one time the word pastor is mentioned as a noun. It's in Ephesians 4.11. So if we look at what the scripture says, Timothy was, uh, was an apostle. Um, James was the apostle over the church in Jerusalem. So he was an overseer. And, and so we have to understand that there's two different ways that an apostle, sometimes an apostle would stay 
uh, we see it two different ways in the New Testament, would stay within a local community and oversee and equip and, and um, do all those things. And then there was Paul who would travel and oversee. Like, he didn't stay at the church of Corinth, but he was still the apostle over the church of Corinth. And he appointed elders, but he was like the head elder. So, but Ephesus was a little bit different. He actually hung out here for two years. Now, a lot of historians and theologians say that Ephesus is like the Grand Canyon of theology in the New Testament. It's like the Grand Canyon of all the epistles. I, I personally love, I was telling my wife a couple weeks ago, I love Ephesians because it, it, it shows, and even uh, a lot of theologians reading Colossians and Paul was getting a greater revelation of who the church is from a revelation of who Jesus is, that we're the bride of Christ. And so we're going to be looking through Ephesians, and I, I really feel like we may just go through the whole book, um, and it's really about us understanding who we are in Christ, understanding that we can stand, and then learning how to walk, and then learning how to fight. See, sometimes we try to fight, but we don't know how to stand, and we don't know how to walk. And we're trying to wage some type of spiritual warfare from here instead of seated in heaven with Him. That's why it's important that, that we have the right warfare worldview. That we have authority. As I'm submitted to authority, I have authority over the enemy. And I don't just go binding spirits whenever I feel like it. I'm submitted to the authority of Jesus. So if he calls me to a region, then I have authority in that region. I think we need to be very careful and not just think that we are little gods on the planet, although God gives us divine authority, delegated authority, the same blessing in Genesis, that he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He said, have dominion and subdue it. See, that blessing did not fade, nor did it get thwarted at all, with the fall of man, it continued. And, and God knew that it was a possibility. And, and I believe it's important that we see that even through all of that, that we are redeemed and God is maturing a bride. He's maturing a bride, which is the church of the Lord Jesus. And we are called to bring, uh, basically, to, to execute these divine, uh, these, these divine orders from heaven to evict the enemy off of the planet. This is who we are. And so the church of Ephesus, Paul loved them. I mean, there was a special connection the Apostle Paul had to this church. We know from Scripture that Timothy um, also was the, the Apostle over Ephesus, so maybe this was the time that he was raising Timothy up. I don't know. but uh, So Timothy was one of his spiritual sons. He spent time with this church, maturing them. I believe that's one of the reasons we can look at Ephesians and, and know that it's a, it is not just bread and milk of God's Word. It is filet and potatoes. It is meat. It is very rich in theology. It's very rich in understanding who Jesus is, who we are as the church, so we can stand, we can walk, and we can fight, and we can release the dominion of heaven and the earth. So would you come with me with that in mind as we look at just the first chapter and begin to discover uh, Paul's heart, but understanding that as it's inspired by the Lord, it should awaken something in us to renew our minds, 
to tell us who we really are. Some of you didn't hear that. I'm going to say that again. When you renew your mind, you're literally discovering who you really are. See, when you're born again, you're born of God. You're no longer the same person. And Paul begins to tell the people uh, in the church what happens to them. And he, and he talks about Jesus dwelling in our hearts. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But let's just read from uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Are you guys ready? This letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. That is so powerful. We could just stop and we could say law on that word right there. The Bible says he's bestowed a blessing upon us. The same word used in Corinthians when it talks about how the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The Lord bestows gracious gifts and enablements for the edification of his body. Jesus, we are united with him. And the Father, how many know the scripture where uh, Jesus says, The same way the Father loved me, I love you. And then he said, abide in my love. That's so powerful because if we understand that we have been brought into family, we've been brought into the community that God, uh, from from before the foundation of the world, we're going to see where this was always in God's heart for us to be a part of this family. And that we are not servants, we are not slaves merely alone, but we are not, we are not just uh, some type of lower being. But God says, you're, you're literally my son and you're my daughter and I've adopted you, but I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say amen to that. This is a great memory verse. This is a great verse when we're when we're trying to release a blessing on someone else. God, I am seated with Him. And if I am aware of that, it's easy for me to, to release a blessing on someone else. See, this goes back into uh, also the covenant that we have with God. That we are. How many know that we're part of the covenant that God made with Abraham? It's the same blessing to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue. That he said, Abraham, I want you to be a blessing and all your descendants are going to be blessed. As a matter of fact, all the world, the nations will be blessed because of you. You were actually grafted in and you're a part of that blessing. And so when we as the people of God understand that God created us not to be a selective elite people all by ourselves, but literally we have the answer that the world is looking for. We have the blessing our neighbors have been praying for. There are people around us throughout our daily lives that are asking God to bless them, and guess where the answer is? It's in you. That's a really good word. Let us be aware of that, that we are ambassadors of another realm, that we're ambassadors of the rule and dominion of Jesus to release blessings on every nation in the world. God chose us God selected us and said, I want you to be a blessing to all people. And so he tells the church, he says, listen, all praise to God the Father. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. 
Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You're blameless in his eyes. He made a covenant with you. Jesus shed his blood. Our sins crushed the Lamb of God. Our sins completely crushed Jesus until he bled every last drop so that he could reconcile us back to God, deal with sin once and for all, bring his holy blood to the Father, and touch the mercy seat once and for all, wiping away the transgression. The Bible says that you're blameless before him. See, when you have a covenant with God, um, You have to understand how powerful this is. This isn't something like it's some agreement that you sign your name on. When God makes a covenant with you, he puts his own heart into it. See, a covenant is always sealed with blood. And a covenant says, till death do us part. That's God's heart. And he says, you're blameless. And, And even before he made the world, he loved us and chose us. Like, this has always been God's heart for humanity. Verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Wow, I love that. Like, it's always been in God's heart to adopt us. This has been a part of his, uh, his plan to, to redeem us back to himself. Right relationship is on the forefront of, of what this whole thing is about. Uh, not just your sin, but that he wants right relationship. You see, when right relationship is, is the focus, sin isn't the issue. You understand what I'm saying? That means you, you're not going to sin if right relationship is the focus. This is what Paul's telling them. is like this, God, it pleased God to adopt you. How many know that you have a father in heaven And you look just like him. You have his very identity. You know, I remember growing up, um, learning and discovering my identity, my natural identity, that I was like my dad. And I remember as, how many know, those of you that have amazing dads and moms, and I know this is Mother's Day, and this isn't a Mother's Day message, but I'm just going to share my heart with you, that I grew up, and my dad was my hero. I mean, he still is my hero. But I remember growing up thinking, my dad can whoop anybody on the block. I mean, come on, when you're growing up, kids, young men, come on, guys that are in this place, you know what I'm talking about. Like, my dad can kick your dad's butt. You know you said it or thought it. Didn't you think that? Jonathan, didn't you think that? You don't know my dad. So my dad was my hero. And I remember knowing the feeling of, my dad's here. Everything's going to be okay. I remember the security it brought me like, oh, nobody's going to talk to me bad now because my dad's here. My dad will whoop him. I I grew up in school, and I was a little guy, okay? I mean, I I was very small for my age. I wrestled 103 as a freshman in high school. I weighed 100 pounds. That's a little dude. But I was not a wimp because I had a dad that taught me some stuff, right? And so, but I remember... I remember learning that I was like him. I remember thinking like, well, if my dad's not here, then, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like if, if, if I get picked on or, or whatever, it just, just in life, like if I were to go apply for a job, like I got to have my dad here. Because, but I, and I learned 
that, that he was with me, like his very DNA was with me. Like I learned that I was becoming more and more like him and I could do what he did. Now when you read the scripture, you have to understand that when you're adopted, God calls you his son. Hear me, in Luke chapter 13, this is so powerful, when Jesus is baptized and everyone around him hear the voice from heaven, some heard thunder and they heard the father saying, this is my son and I love him. This is my beloved son, and I'm well pleased. Do you know that when you were born again, you actually identified with that? So God spoke that over your life. Now, you know that when the principalities hear that over you, when you receive Jesus and you're born of God, it trembles in the spirit realm because now there's one more person born of God. Another person that has potential of being just like Jesus. Another person has potential to take dominion over the earth. Oh, that's such a big deal. See, growing up, I learned that I could be just like my dad. And I knew that I had his very nature and his DNA in me. That when I saw him doing push-ups growing up, and he did 100 push-ups, oh, I could do maybe five, but, but little by little, I could do 100. Because he taught me, because he trained me, because I learned that I had his DNA in me. See, if you understand that you're adopted, you have the DNA of God in you. Like, you literally partake. The Bible says you partake of the divine nature. You are a son. You are a daughter. You begin acting just like him. You renew your mind and think that I don't have an old sin nature anymore. This is one of the, we've talked about this. This is the one of the most paralyzing lies in theology that you still have an old sin nature. Did you know that you don't? If you're born again, it died. You died with Christ. That old man is dead. Stop trying to make him alive. He is gone. He's buried. He is dead. Don't put makeup on him and try to resurrect him. And then, and then we make up excuses. Well, that was just my old sin nature. And then we, we, we literally will empower uh, areas that we are still crucifying, parts of our body, maybe bad cravings or emotional things that are being healed. But At the core of our being, our nature is new. You have a new heart. And so when He adopted you, He came into your heart. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23 that you are born again of an incorruptible seed by the Word of God. You know what happens when He put His nature in you? That Jesus came to live in your heart. Do you know how you're changed? It's by understanding that His nature is in you and that His voice is speaking over you, you know what He's saying to you? He's saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. You know, I like to look at it like this, that His love, His voice, His word, His spirit, Jesus in our hearts, He gave us a new heart, but as we are changed from the inside out, it's, it's Him speaking over us, that we're His beloved, that we're accepted, that we are loved, that we are a son, that we're a daughter, that we're blameless. You know what that does? It changes the rhythm of your heartbeat. And when it changes the rhythm of our heartbeat, we start walking just like Him. And I I walk to a different rhythm. I walk to the rhythm of His love. You see, the rule of God, the, the domain of God, how many know we're called to release the kingdom, right? The king's domain. The domain of God is not some dictatorial rule of, of this father that just wants to be in control of everything. That's, that's not, 
This is what the Bible says in Isaiah 16.5 in the message. It says, a new government of love will be established. Do you know what his rule is? His kingdom rule is love. And so as I yield to King Jesus, his love rules my heart. And as his love rules my heart, I see who he is. I'm transformed from glory to glory. I'm transformed and I begin to look more and more like him. And, and that voice and that nature and that understanding that I'm a son, that understanding that, I, that he forgave all of my sin, uh, that, that he showered his kindness on me, that there's so much love exuding out of God, he had to make me so he could pour it out on somebody. Like there's so much, God is so full of love, that's why he made you, because he had to pour it out on someone. He's like, there's so much love going around here, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, love, love. There's just so much love. Man, we need to make somebody and share this love. Guess who he made? He made you. And when I understand that, here's what happened. It changes the rhythm of my heartbeat. Like God begins to change me from the inside out. I see things differently. I have different desires. I'm not the same person that I used to be because he's changing me from the inside out. 2 Corinthians says that, that, I, uh, that the outward man's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. I, if I understand who I am in Christ, that I can stand, that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter, it become, becomes much easier to stand it becomes much easier to walk. And I've got to learn to do that before I learn to fight. I've got to learn that I'm a son. I've got to learn that as it, we go on in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, I am seated with him in heavenly places. You see, if I begin to, med- you know what I do? Listen, this is a great, a great tool for you. When you're having a hard time or you're, you're in a situation where you could get offended or you could get mad at someone, you've been hurt, you can stop. And you could first grab a hold of this truth that is totally liberating. How people treat you is not directly connected to what God thinks about you. It doesn't matter. Now, if I understand this, I'm the focus of your love. I'm your son. I'm adopted and I'm blameless. And I'm, and I'm literally becoming aware of that. I'm renewing my mind to that. This is who I am. It changes the rhythm of my heartbeat. And that there is an abundant grace. And by faith, I receive his grace, which is supernatural enablement, to look just like him, to be just like him. I'm changed from the inside out. The rhythm of my heartbeat changes. Let's read a couple more verses. It says again, verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, before I go on, I want, let me say this. We, we use the word predestined. Uh, that's not a very good word because we, uh, a lot of our concept of God is like this God that's outside of time, and which the Bible doesn't say he lives outside of time, by the way. He, he could, and he, he can do whatever he wants to do. He's God, right? He's sovereign. But if we, if we read predestined or uh, we use words like that. Uh, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Then we're thinking that that um, it's some selective choosing. Like God says, I'm going to choose you, but no, nah, I don't really like you. That's not the language of Scripture. That's not the language that Paul's using here. How many know that's not even a Hebrew worldview of who God is? 
and the Bible was not written to to uh, uh, he was the Bible was written to that worldview in that time. So what it's literally saying is saying that this is this has been in God's heart that it's it's not this God who exhaustively controls everything and says I'm going to select these and these and these and these predestination. Um, is completely misconstrued in a lot of theology. And I, let me just throw that out there. And just it, it's, it's really more about God's purpose, His intent, and that you, as the church, that when you step into His purpose and His plan for your life, that's what He destined for you. It's like I, I have a predestination, or I've determined in my heart that my kids succeed and they're blessed. And I want them to make good choices. And when they choose to make good choices, then they're walking in what I determined them to do. Hello, does that make sense? See, it's not like this hardwired line that, like, I want you to walk this tightrope, and it's, this is, you know, and we use the words destiny, and we just think fate, and it's like this fatalism that comes on this, when we read scriptures like this, that's not what the Bible says. Is it okay if I just throw that out there? Um, that's, that's really not what it's saying. So, verse 6 So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. Listen, God has poured out His glorious grace on you. Romans chapter 5 says that His grace is abundant towards you. Like there's more than enough. The language Paul gives is that it's like the priest walking in and bringing in the sacrifice and the best cuts and the abundance of sacrifices are handed into the arms of the priest. God's abundant grace is given to you and pouring out. His Spirit is being poured out from heaven right now. Every moment of every second of every day, His mercies are not new just every day. This is new covenant. His mercies are new every moment, every thought. And any time you're having a hard time, just say, God, I receive your grace. God, I receive your love. I'm seated with you in heaven. I'm a son. I'm blameless. You've adopted me. I'm the focus of your love. And you'll find that the rhythm of your heartbeat begins to change. And it begins to be just like his. Verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us on His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. I love the language that He's using because it paints a picture of who God really is. That He's not this mean old man sitting up in heaven just waiting to send people to hell. That's not who God is. And I found myself see and notice that people that actually see God like that, they act just like Him. They'll sit on the corner with the sign that, I hope nobody here does this or hears this, but I, I, I don't think that that's God. Like sitting on a sign saying, repent, you're all going to burn. That's not even the meaning of repentance. Repentance is turning your heart. The Bible says God's goodness leads us to repentance. I believe that we preach repentance, but, but not in a way where we're painting a picture of this mean God. I'm reading what Paul, this great revelation, writing to the church of Ephesus, a church that he loved, a church that he spent two years overseeing himself in relationship with. 
This is the, known as the Grand Canyon of theology in the epistles in the New Testament. Why? Because it paints a picture of who God really is. He's so rich in kindness, and it just pleased him, and he delighted in adopting us, and we're blameless before him, and he chose us, and this is part of his heart and his plan. I I just find myself noticing that people, when they see God for who he really is, that he's full of love and grace, that that's what they release, and that's what they act like. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.1, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. You can act just like him. Why? Because you have his nature. And you begin to look more and more like Jesus. You begin because you're a daughter, you're a son. Amen. This is a big deal. Let me just close with this one verse of Second Corinthians real quick. Are you guys getting anything out of this? Second Corinthians chapter five. I thought I'd get through more verses, but I'm just teaching this morning. Second Corinthians chapter five. No, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is powerful. Uh, I'm going to read verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Remember I shared with you the verse in Peter. It says that we receive grace through the revelation of Jesus. This verse says when I focus on the risen, resurrected, ascended, enthroned, glorified Messiah, I am changed from glory to glory. Why? Because I'm seated with him. And I see who he is and it changes who I am more and more like him. Isn't that powerful? Like how can can I... How can I continue to walk this path of sanctification? I can understand that I'm the focus of his love. And sometimes that just means letting him love you. Stop trying to perform. You can't get God's attention. He's not going to smile. He's not like an earthly parent. He, you know, I, I love when I feel like the Lord says, I'm so proud of you. But he'll say that just for the fact that I said yes to his love. I'm proud of you. I love you. I can, fo- I can understand I'm the focus of his love, and then I can set my eyes on this glorified and throne Messiah, and I'm transformed from glory to glory. That is so powerful. I'm changed from glory to glory. So let's do that right now. Let's just set our eyes on him. Would you lift your hands with me and just invite him, invite his presence? Lord, I pray for a revelation of your face smiling on every individual in this room, every one of your sons and daughters, that, Lord, you look at them with eyes of love. How you long to pour out more grace upon them, to pour out your kindness and your love on them. And, Father, I thank you that you dwell in our hearts And the reality of that transforms us. It changes the rhythm of our heartbeat. So we surrender to the reign of your love. Lord, your government is love, according to Isaiah 16. And according to Isaiah chapter 9, your government is increasing. Your government is increasing. And I pray right now, Father, that 
that our hearts would be expanded to love. I believe this, saints, hear me. The, the, to the degree that your heart is expanded to love is to the degree that the manifest kingdom will manifest through your life. See, the more that your heart is expanded to love, it's, it, it literally opens up a valve for the kingdom to flow through you, the kingdom of God, the dominion of God to flow through you because his government is love. His rule is love. So we open our hearts, Lord. We say, teach us to love just like you, Daddy. Change the rhythm of our hearts. We thank you that we've been given a new heart and you've put your spirit within us. So we surrender to the outpouring of the Spirit. It's been being poured out for 2,000 years. You've been enthroned for 2,000 years. Your church is growing. Your kingdom is advancing. The enemy is bowing. The enemy has been dethroned. And we, are con- we, are, uh, we will continue to evict the enemy, Lord, off of cities, off of people's lives, off of regions, because we are seated with you in heaven. We thank you for it. And we, we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God praise. I went way longer than I thought. See, I thought if I just did a few verses in Ephesians chapter 1 that I wouldn't teach long. Um, I kind of put my teaching hat on this morning. Uh, so let's just real quick, let's make a couple declarations. I'm going to dismiss you. But how many are excited about Love Explosion? Come on, stand up with me, would you? Stand up with me. Would you just lift your hands up and let's make some declarations. Father, we thank you right now that, Lord, when we, uh, when we gather next week, that there will be such a powerful, manifest presence of God. We pray for our speakers. We pray for our guest ministers. Touch them. We pray, God, that you begin to stir their hearts right now with the word and season for this house, for this region, for this people in Jesus' name. We join our hearts, and Lord, with one voice and one cry, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that there is no evil power that can stop what you want to do because we say no in Jesus' name. And Father, we just break every, every power, God, every spirit of pride or spirit of religion, God, or tradition. It will have no effect upon this gathering in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for an open heaven that you're pouring out your spirit. We receive it, and we pray that you'd stir up anticipation within the saints, God. When we gather next week on Friday, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and two Sunday mornings, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do, and we say, God, so be it in Jesus' name. Come on, give God a shout. Amen. Amen. Well, love some people before you go. God bless you. You may be dismissed.